Even if he said a correct law, he said that my idol said that this is the law. And even if it's true, to say that something which is supposed to be tome, impure, is indeed impure, or he says that something which is supposed to be pure is indeed pure, even if the actual content of what he is saying is not incorrect, since he said it in the name of the idol, the Torah says that he should die, and pretty much whenever the Torah says somebody will die, and it doesn't specify how, we understand, we learn from Psukim, that it's referring to the punishment of Chenek. Alright, the next one on the list was Habal Ishas Ish, when he has relations with a married woman. Now, we learnt earlier on in the Masechta that one of the people on the list who are liable to Skila, the more severe punishment of being stoned, is a Nara Hamarosa, one who has relations with an Hamarosa. One who has relations with a woman who is between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half years old. After she has received Kedushin, which is the first step of marriage, but she's not yet considered married to her husband, but she's forbidden already to marry anybody else. However, she's still considered to be under the authority of her father as opposed to her husband. Now, once this woman will get married fully, one who has relations with her will be punished not by Skila, but by Chenek. The question is, when exactly does it change? So the minister says, As soon as she has entered it under the authority and dominion of the husband for the sake of marriage, and this could even be as soon as the father has given her over to the husband or to the husband's messengers, even before the chuppah and the actual full marriage process has been completed, as soon as the father has given her over, she is considered to have left his, her father's authority, even if she has not yet had relations with her husband and her marriage has not been fully completed, already from that point, if another man has relations with her, he will be punished by chenek and not skila. Alright, and the final one on the list, refers to Adam Zomimim. Adam Zomimim are witnesses who testify about somebody else, that he is liable to a particular punishment, and based in, give the verdict based on their testimony that that person is indeed liable. But after that, two other witnesses come to based in and testify that the testimony which the first pair of witnesses gave cannot be true, because those witnesses were with us at the time that this event happened, and this event happened in a different place. So it must be that their testimony is false. In this specific case, this is known as Edim Zomimim, the Torah says that the punishment of the false witnesses is that they will receive whatever punishment they try to give to the other person. And this, only, this doesn't apply to any false witness. It only applies to a false witness who is proven wrong in this very specific way, where he was proved not to be in that place at the time of the event. They're known as Adam Zomimim, and the Mishnah says that the Adam Zomimim, who testified about a Baskoyen, the daughter of a Koyen, a female Koyen, who was a married woman, that she committed adultery and had relations with another man. So the Mishnah explains, 
receive the exact same death penalty as they tried to give to the person they testified against. Except for Adam Zomimim, who testified against the Baskayin and they also testified against the man who they said had relations with her. So they're Adam Zomimim about two people. Of course, that Avera requires two people to do that Avera. But as I may, this is the exception to the rule. Why? Because her punishment is Sreifa. A Baskayin who commits adultery is liable to Sreifa, to being burnt. Even though the man who's involved in this Avera, he would receive Cherek. So we would have thought that since the Edom Zomim testified against both of them, so they really do become liable to both punishments. And just like anybody who is liable to two different death penalties, they receive the more severe one. So we would have thought that the Edom Zomim should receive Sreifa. However, the Mishnah is telling us this is the exception to the rule. The Torah says that they receive the same punishment, like they plotted to do to their brother. And we learn from there that they'll receive the punishment of the man involved in this case, as opposed to the woman. So since the man receives chenek, they will also receive chenek. And that is why this is the last one on the list of those people who are liable to the punishment of chenek. Solik Maseches Sanhedrin Mazeltov, Mazeltov. Maseches Makas. Maseches Makas is a relatively short Masechta of only three parakim. And according to Sam, it's even considered to be a continuation and a real part of Maseches Sanhedrin. Because that which is discussed in the Masechta is very much following the theme of Sanhedrin. And it's really split into three different parts. The three parakim are three distinct subjects. The, f- the subject of the first perek is very much continuation of the last mission of Sanhedrin. The first perek discusses Edom Zolim. Witnesses who are found to be false in the specific way that we just described. That they're found to be false witnesses, not because of the content of what they said, but because other witnesses come and testify that they couldn't have known what happened because they were situated in a different place at the time of the event. That is the focus of Perek Aleph, the first Perek. The focus of the second Perek is Golus, the punishment of exile when somebody kills another person by mistake. They need to run away to one of the cities designated for this purpose. And the focus of the third Perek is very much a Sanhedrin focus, and that is the punishment of Malchus. That's really why the Masechta is called Makus. It's another name for Malchus, the punishment of lashes. So the Masechta opens up, how do witnesses become Edom Zomimim, and how do we give them the punishment which is due to them? Now the truth is, it's explicit in the Torah what we do. We do to the witnesses that which they plotted to do to the person they testified against. This mission is actually coming to tell us when that does not apply. In that case, what punishment do we give them? And the mission will bring two exceptions to the punishment of Kashe Zomam, of doing the same as they wanted to do to the other person. And the first of those exceptions is a case where they say, we are testifying about so-and-so, and they're talking about a koyein, shehu ben gurusha ben chalutza, that he is the son of a woman who had been divorced, or he is the son of a woman who received chalitza. What, exact, what, what exactly is chalitza? So in short, if a person gets married and dies without having any children, there is a mitzvah on the dead man's brother to marry the dead man's wife. And that mitzvah is known as yibum. And the widow is actually forbidden to marry anybody else unless she does yibum with this brother and marries him. Or they can go through a process in Beistin known as chalitza, which would allow her to be freed of this dead man's brother and then she'd be able to marry somebody else. Be as it may, because chalitza is allowing her to marry somebody else, it's very similar to a divorce. Therefore, just like the Torah says it's forbidden for a koyen to marry a divorcee, a woman who has been divorced, 
So too, Midrash Bonon, it is forbidden for a Kohen to marry a Chalutza, a woman who has gone through this process of Chalitza, since Chalitza is very similar to a divorce. Now, what happens when a Kohen does marry a divorcee or a Chalutza? All of the descendants who come from that union, from that relationship, are called Chalolim. A Chalol is a disqualified Kohen who can no longer serve in the Beis HaMikdosh, and he loses most of the rights of a Kohen. Now, of course, if the witnesses who are testifying against this Koyen are not Koyen in themselves, then of course it's not relevant to give them the punishment of Kasher Zomam, to make their children Chalolim. They're already not Koyenim. But even if the witnesses are Koyenim, so we could technically make their children Chalolim, the Mishnah says, We don't say that these witnesses, the Edim Zomim, should become Chalolim which is a status given to a Koyen who was born as a result of a relationship with a divorcee or a Chalutza. The reason being that the Pesach says, that you shall do to him, to the false witness, that which he tried to do to the other person. Over here, the law is that the one who, who got married and had relations with the divorcee, he himself does not become a Cholol. Only his descendants become a Cholol. And the punishment of Kashi Zomam only applies when we are giving you the punishment that you tried to give to the other person, and not when it will only affect your children. Okay, so does that mean he's not going to receive any punishment? Says the Mishnah, no, rather he will receive 40 lashes. We'll see later on in the third Perek that even though the Mishnah always refers to Malchus as 40, that you get 40 Malchus, and in fact the Torah itself seems to imply that that's the amount of Malchus one would get, the truth is the maximum amount of lashes one would get at one time is only 39, but we'll see in more details later on. And this is learned from Psukim that in a case where the regular punishment of Kashi Zomam cannot be given, we revert back to the punishment which is given to most Averis in the Torah, which is lashes. Alright, the second exception to the punishment of Kashi Zomam is if the witnesses say, we testify about a, pers- a certain person that he killed somebody by mistake and therefore he is liable to run away and be exiled and live in an Irmiklot a city which is designated for this purpose, and later on these people are found to be Edim Zomimim, we don't say that the false witnesses, the Edim Zomimim, need to go to Golos, need to be exiled instead of that person, because the Torah goes out of its way to tell us that the punishment of Golos only applies to the person who killed himself. It says that who Yonus, he needs to run away to exile, which implies that it can only ever be given to him, and nobody else can get that punishment instead of him. However, but they would get the punishment of 40 lashes, or as we explained, 39, which is the regular punishment given for most Averis in the Torah. The Mishnah now gives two cases where the punishment of Kashizomam is given, but it's not so simple, and they don't really have to do exactly what they said the other person needs to do. So firstly, if they say that we are testifying against a certain person, that he divorced his wife, and he didn't give her her kasuba. The kasuba is a document written at the time of marriage, which obligates the husband to give a certain amount of money to his wife upon divorcing her, or if he dies before her, she'll receive that amount of money. So they testify that he divorced her, and that he owes her the kasuba, and he hasn't yet paid her. And then they're found to be Edom Zomim, and really, he never even divorced her. So the Mishra says, it's not fair to make him pay the entire amount of the kasuba. Anyway, either today, or if not, then tomorrow, someday in the future, he'll end up giving her the kasuba. It could be he'll divorce her tomorrow, 
and give her the kasuba. So he didn't really, had he needed to pay it now, he wouldn't really have lost out that amount of money. Because anyway, he was going to end up losing that amount of money. Although it's not certain that he'll end up losing that amount of money, it could be that she will die before him and he won't divorce her. Nevertheless, there is a relatively high chance that he might die before her. And so anyway, there was a very high chance of him giving the kasuba. So how do we fulfill kashazam in this case? We evaluate, we measure how much a person would be willing to pay for this kasuba knowing that he's not necessarily going to receive it. And he knows that she is Gorsha, that only if she is widowed or divorced will she receive the kasuba, and he's buying that right from her. But if she dies first, then her husband will inherit her, and he'll never give the kasuba. So how much would somebody be willing to buy that right to the kasuba based on the risk? That is considered to be the amount that the witnesses tried to make him lose out on by making him pay today instead of possibly paying at a later date. And the final case of the Mishnah, if they say that we are testifying against a certain person, that he is liable, he owes somebody else, let's say they say that Ruvain owes Shimon a thousand zuz, he borrowed from Shimon a thousand zuz, and the condition of the loan was that he needs to return the money within 30 days. The Hu'aymer, but Shimon says that actually it's Mekanvad Eshashonim. The condition was that he return it within 10 years. And indeed, the Edom Zomim are found to be false. So of course, they're not going to have to pay the entire, the entire thousand Zuz. Shimon agrees that he owes the thousand Zuz. He just says that he needs to pay it at a later, da- at a later date. So how do we fulfill Kashi's Zomam? Says the Mishnah, We evaluate, we measure how much a person would be willing to pay to get a loan of a thousand Zuz. The difference between a loan which needs to be repaid within 30 days to a loan which needs to be repaid in 10 years. How much would somebody be willing to pay in order to extend the deadline of paying back the loan? Mr. Bates, a very important machlokas here for when witnesses are found to be Edim Zomim. If people say Edim Monish Peloni, we testify about a certain person, that he owes somebody else 200 Zuz. He owes him a sum of money. And these witnesses are found to be Edim Zomim, so of course their punishment is to pay 200 Zuz to the person they testified against. The question is, is that it? For most Averis in the Torah, there is a regular punishment of Malchus, lashes. And over here, they also violated an Avera of testifying falsely. In general, if somebody testifies falsely, and they're found to be a false witness in a different way, not via people coming and saying that you couldn't have known because you were elsewhere at the time. But if the facts are proven to be wrong, and that's how they're found to be false witnesses, so then they get Malchus. So here we would think they should also get Malchus, and indeed, Loikin Mushalmin. According to this opinion in the Mishnah, they receive Malchus and they have to pay. Because it's not the same posuk which brings them to the punishment of lashes as the posuk which brings them to the punishment of paying. It's two totally different ideas. One is the fact that they violated an Avera of testifying falsely, and there's a separate punishment of Kashizomam when they are found to be false in this specific way, then they also receive the punishment which they tried to give the other person. That is the opinion of Rebbe Anybody who pays money and fulfills Kashi's Zomam does not get lashes. The Chachom understand that when the Torah said that the punishment for Edom Zomim is Kashi's Zomam, the Torah was coming to say that this is the punishment instead of Malchus. Not as well as Malchus, but instead, this is the punishment. 
and they learn it from Pesukim. However, that having been said, we saw in the previous Mishnah that in a case where we can't fulfill Kashi Zomam, then they would still receive Malkus. Mishnah Gimel, a continuation of the previous Mishnah, if the witnesses stated that we testify about a certain person, that he transgressed a particular Avera for which he is liable to Malkus to the punishment of 40 lashes. And these witnesses are found to be Edim Zomimim. Loikim Shmoinim, they would receive 80 lashes, meaning two sets of Malkus. Mishum Loisanim one set of lashes for violating the regular vera of testifying falsely, and another set, to fulfill this punishment of doing what they try to give the other person. That is the opinion of a mayor in the previous Mishnah. They would only receive 40 lashes, one set of malchus, because of kashi zomam, and they do not receive malchus for the transgression of testifying falsely, because this is the punishment which the Torah said they receive in the case of Adam Zomim. Now, the second half of the Mishnah tells us a rule that Mishalshin Mamamain, the Adam Zomim can split between them money, the Adam Mishalshin Mamakas, but they cannot split between them the lashes. And the Mishnah explains, Ketzad, what, what does that mean? If the witness has testified about a person that he's liable to, he owes his friend 200 Zuz, the Nimtsu Zomim, and they are found out to be Adam Zomim, we don't say that each one of them now needs to pay him 200 Zuz. He'll end up with much more than that which they tried to make him lose out on. Rather, Mishalshin Binehen, they would split it between them, and that way they are indeed giving him that which they wanted him to lose out on. But if they gave testimony about something which would make the other person liable to Malchus, and then they are found to be Zomimim, it won't help to give half of Malchus to this witness and half of them to another witness. Neither of them are receiving the punishment which they tried to give the other person. And half lashes is not considered to be the real punishment of Malchus. Rather, in this case, each of the witnesses, however many they, there are, two or three, whatever it may be, each of them would receive the full set of 40 lashes.